This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and with me is Dan from Shares. Hi. So this week we're going stateside with our focus. We're looking at the booming market for companies listing in America, how to buy US companies in your ISA and whether to worry about currency rates, and a new American report that says we shouldn't work full time until we reach the age of 40. So this week we're also joined by Annabelle Brody-Smith from the Association of Investment Companies, a trade group for investment trusts, who's going to talk to us about how to plan your dividend calendar. Hi Annabelle. Hi Dan, hi Laura. So firstly, we've seen a boom in the number of American companies choosing to IPO or at least announcing their intention to do so. So we're going to look at whether this is all hype or whether they're sound investments. But I've got a quiz Everyone's favourite part of the podcast. Go on then, should we, what, quiz first? Yeah, quiz Go first. On. So how many IPOs in the US were there last year? It's got to be a very high number. Let's face it, it's been a boom time for the US, so it's got to be a very high number. I'm, I'm scared to guess. <laughs> <laughs> There's no prizes for winning and no sorriness for losing, so. Well, it's got to be over a thousand. Is that too ridiculously too high? Dan? That sounds I reckon too high. 243. Okay, so it was 190. Oh, I'm miles out. Oh. <laughs> but in comparison, in 1999, in the kind of height of the dot com boom, how many US IPOs were there in that year? Oh, so I, 190 last year. Yeah, I think, Annabelle, you might. I get, might have been right on that yeah. one. Was that over 1,000? Dan? Yeah. Uh, I think I agree. Definitely over 1,000. So it was 486. But if you add it in with 2,000, it comes out to about. A thousand across those two years of the dot com boom. Wow, that is quite so. Remarkable. It just shows that we think it's booming now. Yeah, but it was booming a lot more then. Exactly. <laughs> Great point. Um, anyway, Dan, back to the actual point of this. So, should we be investing in these US IPOs? Is it all hype? Well, it's quite interesting. There's lots of these companies are coming onto the market. Um, are so called unicorns, so they're worth more than a billion dollars. Um, they've all nearly all done very well in terms of share price performance, either on the first day or on sort of the first couple of weeks. Um, there's actually been one of them called Zoom, which there was a mistaken identity. There's now two companies on the market called Zoom, and it looks like investors might have been buying the wrong one because there's this penny stock, tiny little company that no one traded. It's been on the market for years. Um, and over the last month, it's gone up by 54,000% in value because... It's suddenly a, 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 you know, a very sort of sleepy business. There's people just been buying it. And when there's no liquidity for these very small companies, it can have sort of adverse movements on the share price. <laughs> um, but the Zoom uh, that's floated this month has also done extremely well. So, I th- it, you know, I'm not going to say whether you should buy or sell um, these stocks. It's not my position to do that. You should always do your own research into it. But What you're saying is that we should start a company called Uber or Airbnb <laughs> as a penny share <laughs> and benefit from the uplift of mistaken identity. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say that our investment company managers, I know some of them are buying some of these IPAs, particularly in the tech stock area, so Lyft. And I'm sure they're going to keep their eye on Uber, for example. But uh, clearly there you have a professional manager making that decision. And I think individual investors really have to do their research 
to find out which IPA they really want to invest in. And those professional managers also get early access, don't they? Because a big part of the returns that you get from these IPOs is on the first day. And for much of that, the benefit is from people that get access to the IPO rather than people that are buying it when it first lists on the market. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust is a very good example. Um, they already have stakes in... Palantir and Airbnb, both of which are expected to list on the stock market in America this year. Um, so it's, they've got in early stage because there's quite a lot of investment trusts can access these private businesses. They use the stock market flotation as a partial uh, potential for a partial exit. They might sell down some of the holdings or they might just keep, keep hold of them if they think there's um, you know, considerable upside in the future. But this it begs the question is there's lots of sort of private equity or venture capital firms that have been in these companies as, when they've been private. Um, now, if they're all looking for exits now, why are they selling? Um, ha- has all the easy money been made? Um, are they seeing something that, that the retail investors aren't? Um, the, the US stock market's in doing very well. Um, that, that gives confidence to investors to want to back these businesses. So the, the key point here is the majority of these new IPOs, which is an, another term to describe companies coming to the stock market for the first time, they're nearly all loss-making. So th- this is it's an interesting situation. They, they earn, some of them earning very high amounts of revenue, but are you comfortable investing in a loss-making firm? It, it is the first question you should be asking when you're thinking about investing in this area. And surely one of the questions then is why it's loss-making. Is it loss-making because it's in a high-growth stage and it's investing all of the money that it makes back into new products or new services or new openings? Or is it loss-making because it's lost control of its costs or because it's not got a profitable business model? I think the former. I think that there's a, a, all these companies are... Um, certainly what the, the bigger name ones are high growth businesses so they need to invest cash back into the business to grow and I think they're looking at uh, a lot of investors looking at Amazon so years ago when, when Amazon was first starting out people were um, they knew that it was going places but it didn't make any money for years and years and years but they're now looking back to saying well look at those early investors in Amazon look how much money they've made from owning those shares can this next one do the same thing? I think that's that's what people are looking for. They're looking for the next big thing. Um, but they need to understand that the these businesses are, are flagging in their prospectuses. They will need more cash in the future. So who's going to put up that money? How much do they need? I mean, there's you do need to do a lot of research into these businesses rather than simply saying, Uber, yeah, I've got the app on my phone. Um, all my mates use it, therefore it must be good if we're all using it. It's not that simple. I think it's a very interesting point that Dan makes there because one of the trends we are seeing in the investment company industry is that investment companies are investing earlier. They are investing when these companies are private, they're unquoted, they're growing. They're taking really quite substantial stakes at that stage. Companies tend to become to the market a lot later in their life. So they're seeing the substantial growth at the beginning when the investment company is invested. Now, of course, a lot of those investment companies are also investing at the IPO stage, but they have already seen a huge amount of growth. And I think that's a trend in the US, but it's also a trend here in the UK too. 
Mm. So if we just look at some of the names that are joining, so Uber is set to join the US stock market this week. So I think 10th of May is is penciled in for its listing date. Um, So recently we've had Lyft, which is a similar company to Uber. That is probably the exception. It did well on its first day, but actually it's now the shares are trading below the price at which it joined the market. Beyond Meat is perhaps one that's got a lot of publicity. So I don't know if any of you um, have tried its food. This is sort of a, a, a sort of a vegetarian, vegan version of um, a burger. So it's meant to look like it and taste like it. It's got so when you cook it, it's got beetroot inside. So it looks like the blood is coming out as you're cooking it. I'd like to try it, but I have to admit I haven't. No, same. So I have I have seen it on uh, around and about, and and I guess. You, you know what the hype was like with Greg's vegan sausage roll? Everyone got yes. excited, didn't they? So, um, interestingly, people who were buying that weren't necessarily vegans or vegetarians. They, they were, it was curiosity. And Beyond Meat's finding this, it's sort of flagging that its market is not a niche market. It's a mainstream market because people are beginning to eat less meat, either for cost reasons, uh, for health reasons, or, or sort of environmental reasons. So, the they have a big opportunity. So you can see why investors have been attracted to the stock. Um, and I imagine that if it was on the UK stock market, so this is investors in America, but if Beyond Meat was in the UK stock market, it might have had a similar reaction because just the Greg's vegan sausage roll factor, it's shown that there's curiosity um, and there's a big growth opportunity. So it's a perfect example of why IPOs currently um, catching the market's attention. Other companies that are coming include We Company, which owns the WeWork brand. Now, this is like serviced offices. So if, you, if you're a small business and you can't afford your own premises, you might use their facilities. Um, if you look at the financials, it, it made $1.8 billion in sales last year. Very impressive. But it made $1.9 billion net loss. So you're thinking, hang on a minute. How long is this going to take before you make a profit? Um, The bonds have been rated as junk by the ratings agencies. So they clearly see the firm as a risky proposition. Um, But, you know, the brand is quite well known. The big thing to think about here, this is a great example of a company that has grown in the last 10 years or, or a bit less in a period where there's been low interest rates and the economy is booming. What happens when the economy starts to collapse? What's going to happen to all these these small businesses? Are they going to still be able to keep going? So a lot of these big businesses, big IPOs coming up now, they've been in untested market, negative market conditions. Pinterest is another example, totally reliant on advertising. What happens when the economy falls over? I mean, these are sort of the things you should be thinking about as you're looking at these companies. And to Annabelle's point earlier, this is the kind of thing that the professional fund managers are thinking about and wading through all of the reports and results that are out there to work out whether they think that even if a company isn't profitable now, it might be in the future or in what market circumstances it might become profitable. So, yeah, I guess it's a word of warning, isn't it? If you're going to try and think about investing in some of these IPOs just after they've come to market, how much research have you done and how much do you understand that business model? Yeah. And it's uh, just one final point is, uh, are you you comfortable with profits or are you comfortable with promise? I mean, it's a big difference between companies saying, yes, we're growing and this is what we expect to do in the future, or a company is now saying, we're already making positive earnings. So, and it's purple bricks in the UK, 
Eve Sleep is another example. These are two UK companies which came to the market with big promise and they are both disappointed the market because they haven't been able to achieve their growth plans. Such a doomsayer, Dan. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've had more listener queries in and this is proof that we actually read them and respond to them. So Ben emailed to ask about the logistics of investing in US companies, which is very relevant to what we've just been talking about. And he wanted to know where you should buy the shares, whether you should be worried about currency movements. So Dan... How would a typical investor invest in a US most, share through yeah. their ISA? So, so most ISA providers or your investment platform provider will let you invest in overseas listed shares, but they tend to be just the bigger companies um, and, and the bigger exchanges. So stuff like the Australian Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange might be um, probably open market for you to invest in whereas some very niche ones in parts of emerging markets for example you may not get access to and you just buy them in the same way you do as a uk listed share Um, they just come with a few extra fees yeah so ben asked about currency and currency exchange rates um so you can't hold foreign currency in your ISA. So you have to fund it with pounds and then you have to leave it to the platform to handle the foreign currency exchange and they'll charge a fee for that. So for AJ Bell, it's about 1% um, up to £10,000 invested um, on a sliding scale down. So it's, it's cheaper the more you invest. So that's an additional cost that you've got to think about. And then also if you receive dividends from that investment, they're going to face that same foreign currency exchange. And when you sell out, out at the end and want to convert it back into pounds you're going to face that fee as well there's also um very complicated tax thing tax things to think about because the us in this example will have a different tax regime to the uk so there's some forms that you need to fill it out and re-sign every three years to make sure that you're not being not facing too high a tax I mean, I have to say for an everyday investor, I think a great way to access the US market is through a fund such as an investment company or an open-ended fund where you do have the benefit of the professional fund manager doing the analysis and research for you and you don't have to worry about the charges, the currency, any of these other issues. Yeah, certainly. And I think the charges, the additional charges on top of this and some of the extra kind of hassle factor mean that if you're only investing small amounts of money then it's likely to eat into your returns quite considerably so in that instance you definitely would most likely be better off going through a fund or other collective if you're um, investing much larger sums of money then you might and you want to specifically pick certain stocks then you might be better going through this but yeah you're completely right i i I definitely agree but there is an appetite amongst retail investors to invest in some companies, you know, certainly select examples of companies. Now, with, with AJ Bell, you invest, more people invest in Tesla than they do in Whitbread and the retailer Next, some really big British names. It also shows so that there is, there is the confidence to be able to invest in these overseas markets. I mean, they are global brands. Mm. And they're also, if we look at them, tend to be in sort of new types of technology, which are growing very quickly. And obviously, as investors, we want to get access to that. And I wonder if there's also an element of kind of more column inches are filled with talk about Tesla and what Elon Musk has tweeted recently than probably is about Whitbread or some of the the bigger UK brands. There's definitely a more kind of 
um, media attention and maybe more excitement around some of those brands like Tesla? No, absolutely. And, and there's plenty of um, really good comments from from individuals, also from fund managers about these companies as well. So whilst if you choose not to invest in a fund and you want to go directly, you can still read these fund reports. And they're, you know, particularly Scottish Mortgage talks about Tesla quite a lot and they give some really, really good comment about the investment case. So Ben also asked about, um, he's noticed that some US companies are listed on multiple exchanges. So if that's the case, are you better off buying it on a UK listing if that's available or in the US like what's the difference between the two well it's, it depends on how liquid um, the shares are for each of these listings so some companies um, are are listed in, in multiple exchanges it's not just America and London it might be Australia or somewhere else I think a really good example is Sony so the Japanese um, electronics business it's listed in New York London and Tokyo and um, but I think you find that the London listing won't have much liquidity at all in it. And you know, there's some real simple things like look at the share price chart. If it's got some really sort of long lines and it lists the last five trades, and if they've if the trades have been spread over a couple of weeks, you know that no one is trading this at all. So you have to think, well, uh, when I buy it, can I sell at the point that I want to. And that's that's where liquidity comes in. Is someone else going to buy it from you? Um, so, th I mean, there, uh, personally, I, I would, if there's a UK option um, and it's sort of their, their main listing, then maybe that's where you, you perhaps want to look first. But um, you need to look at it on a case-by-case -case situation. But uh, the, the other question that, they were, that, this, um, that Ben was asking was what, why, sort of what, you know, why do they do these sort of things? And, and there's some strange sort of codes that represent, uh, are they being made up? Now, these codes of, that you, you type in to recognise a stock or, or an investment trust or an ETF, it just helps recognise it on the dealing system. They're not made up, um, but companies go onto different exchanges primarily to do with historical acquisitions. So they may have been in Australia and they bought a British business, but they've decided to keep their Australian one as well. Or it's like the smaller companies, they just want to access different pools of investors to raise money. So mining oil and gas is a classic one. They may be listed in Australia. And after a while, they kind of exhaust their um, investor base, but they still need more money. So they go to different exchanges to try and find a new pool of people who might want to support the business. So there's nothing, definitely nothing sinister in it. Um, it, it, it sort of makes logical sense why they might want to be on multiple exchanges. And then another question that we got asked repeatedly by listeners and readers of shares is how to use their investments to generate a reliable income stream. So usually this is people that want to supplement their retirement or pension income. So the Association of Investment Companies has just generated a tool that allows you to look at which month investment trusts pay their income. So you can look at when you need income through the year. So how did the idea come about, Annabelle? Yeah, well, the research tool is called Income Finder, and it really started back when we created Dividend Heroes in 1999. Now, this is just after the financial crisis. A lot of companies, a lot of the banks were cutting their dividends, and it was reliability of income payments was very important to investors. So we looked at those investment companies who have increased their dividend every year, year in, year out, for over 20 years, and we call those the dividend heroes. Now, there are 20 of these companies, and quite incredibly, uh, four of them have been increasing their dividend every year for over 50 years. 
But it was clear when we put information on investment companies about the months that they paid their dividends, it was proving incredibly popular. And it became clear to us that investors were using this information to build their own portfolios of investment companies. And when you're building a portfolio, some investors want to have even income spread over every month. Others perhaps want to boost before Christmas for their Christmas shopping or whatever they want to meet their individual needs. And that's why we came up with Income Finder, which is a research tool that allows you to research or campaign investment companies, but you can create your own virtual portfolio. So you can actually see how much income you get in each month and you can see when that company is paying and how much income you get over the year too. So that's really useful for those looking for income. But is that a good way to pick an investment trust? Kind of, I want to pick this one because it pays a meaty dividend in December or are there kind of further checks that investors need to be well, doing? Well, clearly, if you're an income investor, you need to think more widely than that. Uh, you you need to look at the 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 whole company you have to do your research on the company and for some income investors they might be just looking at uh, solid reliable dividend growth and they're not so concerned about how much income they're getting for other investors they're much more concerned about a high income um, which might be growing much more slowly. So there is quite a lot of analysis you can do. Um, these dividend hero companies, they can increase their dividend every year because they tuck back some of the income they receive from their companies. They sort of put it away for a rainy day. And then when that rainy day comes, so for example, the financial crisis, the banks are cutting their dividends, or uh, BP has an oil spill, cuts their dividends, then they can use that those reserves, that rainy day money, to boost their dividends and therefore keep increasing it. So obviously that's it's it's not just the companies that sit under the dividend heroes banner that can do that. This is all investment trusts, isn't it, that have all, revenue reserves? All paper. investment companies can do it. Um, and what you'll see if you look at income finder, obviously we have the equity income companies which commonly use it, um, but then we also have uh, investment companies investing in alternative assets, so infrastructure or property. Um, and, you know, it's a slightly different level of risk. And that's really where the investor doing their research comes into play. Mm. And also these, um, so your, your system, is it based on the historical dividend payments that, that people It is done. based on the yeah. historical dividend payments yeah. and we're very clear on that. You know, you, these are equities. We cannot predict the future. We don't know what future dividend payments are going to be, but it is based on historical data. You can also see what dates com investment companies pay their dividends over the last three years. Okay. So I guess people need to understand that Dividends are never guaranteed, um, but this is a, it sounds like a very good way of, um, you know, if you understand the risks, helping you to plan. And I presume people can use this to, uh, you know, if they're relying on their investments to help pay the bills, this would be incredibly useful, won't it? I mean, it's, I mean, actually, we really do have a lot of investors, particularly now, you know, people are living longer. Um, We've had pension freedom, so we have a lot of investors using their portfolios to supplement their income. And actually, we, we've got a lot of investors who really are using this to pay bills, data, to meet day-to-day -day living costs. And for those investors, they do want a pretty smooth income, 
every month. And you're quite right to say they're not guaranteed, and that's definitely the case. But obviously, there is some confidence you can take over these companies that have such long track record of dividend rises. But of course, it's never guaranteed. No. <laughs> but you probably don't want to be the fund manager that ends a 50-year streak of raising dividends, do you? I think that's highly unlikely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so finally, Laura, you found an interesting paper this week that looked at how the world of work needs to change because we're all living longer. Is this is this a good thing or a bad thing? I think that really depends on your perception. I can't decide what I think about it. So it's some new research from the US, from Stanford. Um, and the, basically the headline is that you shouldn't do full-time work until you turn the age of 40. Wow. What are you doing before then? Are you studying or...? So it's basically talking about the fact that we're all living longer and so you should stretch out your initial stage of life where you're in education or you're doing internships or you're working part-time. And that period of your working life should stretch out through your, I was going to say child-rearing, but that sounds a bit like farming, you know, <laughs> child-bearing days when you've got young children and then you have more flexibility there because you're not in full-time work. Then once they've grown up a little bit, you start full-time work when you're 40. But it does mean that then you're careers will be longer you'll have a gradual transition to part-time work but full-time retirement would be around the age of 80. I've got to say as a mother of two children one thing I know about children is they are extremely expensive <laughs> and you know it sounds wonderful to just be able to work uh, part-time till you're 40 but I don't think it's realistic in terms of meeting the expenses. No I think I would definitely agree with you there. <laughs> That's one thing that they acknowledge so they acknowledge that the the compromise in this is that you have to be willing to live a bit more like you did in your student days so in with not so many material goods in not such nice accommodation much more on a budget eating more beans I guess throughout that initial stage of life but you're sacrificing that money I guess for work-life balance in that stage and then you spend the bulk of your time from 40 onwards earning full time and that saves up money for retirement well I think you have to persuade your children also that they don't <laughs> want the latest trainers yes, yeah, exactly. or the mobile phone or whatever it is and I'm not sure they'd be that happy with that message I'm not sure I'm happy with the thought of working until I'm 80 no that seems it does seem too long doesn't it I it mean, seems it, really yeah. a long time and when you're relying on people still maintaining their health yes. at that age mm. you might not have your mobility you know there are all sorts of things you're right and that I think that is a big flaw in it because we're all living longer but we're not necessarily living longer in perfect health and so your ability to I mean we've just all done a commute in a very rainy grey morning um, your ability to do that at the age of 80 I'm not sure yeah for me I think it would make more sense if a later in life you were working part time yes now yeah. that I can <laughs> really see the well, what benefits about just of all through life you work part time <laughs> I dream Laura that. I dream yeah. <laughs> well thanks a lot for listening this week as ever, you can send any thoughts or ideas you have to podcast at ajbell.co.uk. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. <laughs>